Hey, here we go. Welcome to the nose. I'm Colin McEnroe. I'm in my house, the way people are these days. Uh, and Cat Pastor is running things on the board. She will emerge as one of the heroes of the coronavirus crisis at WNPR and related stations. Uh, Jonathan McNichol, who's producing this episode, is at his house. Um, and our guests, our three panelists, are all at their house. We're going to introduce them in a second. And uh, I want to tell you first that in, later in the show, we're going to talk about the reframing. I don't know what the right way, what, what the right gerund is but something like that of high fidelity high fidelity is now available on hulu as a multi-part series uh it stars zoe kravitz in the role once incarnated by john cusack and uh we'll talk more about that uh and about the delight if that's the right word of hanging around with music snobs which is sort of what high, what high fidelity is all about and it's, it's about other things, too. Uh, in the beginning, though, we're going to talk, um, you know, it's sort of there's no way not to talk about what we're going through these days and how it affects, uh, in the case of the nose, how people re- interact with culture. And to do that, we have Rebecca Castellani, a music writer for the Red Hook Star Review. Irene Papoulis teaches writing at Trinity College. Bill Usman, professor of media studies at Sacred Heart University. They're all on Skype. Somehow we can do that. I didn't know that. This is one of the things that's happening was for discovering capacities. We didn't know we had. So I'm going to begin by asking each of you um, kind of the same question. And Irene, I'm going to start with you. Um, are, are you using culture these days to distract you from what's going on and your fears and worries or culture to help you think and feel about what's real? And I'm sure the answer for all three of you is going to be, yes, but I'm doing both of those. But let me I want to have each of you describe it. So, so Irene, talk about how culture is working for you. Um, I would say the majority, I would say probably 70%, um, escape and 30% or maybe even 80% escape, 20% enlighten somehow. Um, I love the escape of various, I don't know if we're talking about, if we're just doing sort of a quick, uh, go around right now. Mention a few things though. Yeah. Give us some examples. Like there's this show on Netflix called The Valhalla Murders that I watched the entire thing of. It's like this Icelandic noir and it was just fun to just get into that world and forget about everything that's going on. But then every time I got out of it, I would sort of have this feeling of, oh, yeah, that's right. We're in this catastrophe, you know, and books I'm reading. I'm reading this novel, Fates and Furies, which is really interesting. And it, it yeah. also just takes me away. Um, on the other hand, the enlight- you know, I've been feeling like I want to watch The Matrix again because I feel like I just want to <laughs> see that again. Like it's gonna tell me something because we're all living in there, you know, and in some way. I want to, I, I feel this desire, and these are all things I want to do that I haven't necessarily done, read more poetry. I feel like poetry yes. is going to be a way for me to get out of, out of, out of this, you know, there's something that I find extremely distressing about, obviously, we all do. And it's just, it just like, there's layers and layers of, I feel like there's layers and layers of just saying like, oh my gosh, this is actually real. We actually can't go out. We actually can't go to work. You know, it just kind of keeps sinking in deeper and deeper. And I feel like, I don't know, somehow I'm looking for poetry that can help with that. Um, and so that's where I would start. All right. So actually, just for fun, let's have both of the uh, of your friends here react to that. Uh, Rebecca, what do you think about what she just said? 
I think it's spot on. I think the, uh, the being drawn to poetry in a moment like this is something that a lot of people, I think, like are articulating right now, wanting something that is succinct and powerful and meaningful and tells us something about our moment whilst also sort of taking us out of the moment we're in. So I think that that's spot on. Yeah. Before Bill goes, I just want to say I have the same reaction of uh, about poetry. I was trying to write my column for Hearst uh, this week, and every paragraph I wrote, there was... I was just borrowing, you know, just lines of poetry would kind of pop into my head. There's something about poetry that I think is because it's not all put together quite so explicitly. It, it, it helps us or our mind goes there pretty easily. But but Bill, what did you think about what, what Irene was saying? I'm I'm probably in a similar place in terms of looking to culture more for distraction than for really coming to grips with what's happening. Um, I watch a lot of news. I read a lot of news. And I'll tell you, boy, right now, that can be just an absolutely strangling experience. Uh, and and I just, I want to know what's happening. I want to be informed. But I'm also really feeling like I need to just get away from it sometimes and i think that's what i'm moving to culture for right um and what are you when you're getting away what are you getting away into so um i'm i i i've always and so i'm 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 doing this again but maybe more now i've always had a tendency to binge read a little bit mm -hmm. and what i mean by that is i find one particular author and just do a really deep dive into that author's works. And uh, for me right now, it's Ian McEwen. Mm. Oh, I know love that, Ian McEwen. Uh, I know everybody on the panel today is a big reader. Do, have you guys read Ian McEwen also? I'm a huge Ian McEwen fan. I love him. I, like On Chessel Beach is one of the most heartbreaking short stories I've ever read. Oh, he's just wonderful. Yeah, I mean, yeah, not, I, not as much as, as you guys have, but but certainly, and he does seem uh, like the, the kinds of things that he writes about are often pretty close, without getting too on the nose, to where we are right now. Yeah, I um, I had read Saturday years ago and was blown away by it, and then just recently I read Black Dogs, um, and it's 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 actually too complicated to, to do a blurb of, but that made me decide, okay, like I'm going to go into, I'm going to go into this, uh, heavy. And so I'm, I'm immersed in just reading, um, probably by the time I get done, uh, everything that he's written and he, and he is quite pr prolific. He's yes. got a lot of novels. So Rebecca, I want to hear about your culture diet right now. Sure. So I'm on the flip side of my co-panelists. I'm getting a very small, maybe 20% distraction diet. I'm rewatching Mad Men right now just to really escape and get in a completely different headspace. But I am very much a exposure therapy type kind of gal. So when moments like this, I look to culture to, you know, learn something, inform me, and also just sort of to face it, to kind of look at it and say, okay, this is, it could be so much worse, I guess, than what we're doing. So you best believe I was one of those people that watched Contagion, like the first week that this happened. <laughs> I adore that movie. Yeah. My partner was like, why are we doing this? Like, please, I don't want to watch this. And I was just like, give it to me all at once. I want to know. I want to know how bad it's going to get. 
I also started re-listening to Station Eleven on audiobook last night. Station Eleven is by Emily St. John Mandel and is just a fantastic take on what happens to civilization after a large catastrophic influenza event. And the other one that I also started dipping back into was Stephen King's The Stand, which is also about oh, an influenza that wow. takes everyone out. Oh, Rebecca. So, do I have a problem? Maybe. Maybe. No. <laughs> yeah, Rebecca, I can't you... do that. I, oh, I can't can't get into that stuff right now. It's just <laughs> too much for me. Um, Irene, what were you going to say? Yeah, I was going to, I'd be curious to hear more, Rebecca, about what, what you get out of those. Is it, is it that you're getting, you're sort of getting a, a knowledge about a way to be in this world yeah. now? What? So I've yeah. always sort of had a reputation in my friend group of being like the apocalypse guru. Like this is just something that takes up a lot of time in my brain. I'm really into dystopian fiction. That was one of the first genres I ever really gravitated to, towards as a little kid. I was, you know, really big into The Walking Dead when that first came out. So the idea of something horrible overtaking every element of humanity and culture has always appealed to me in the sense that what happens to the world and everything breaks down and how do we build back? And to be confronted with a moment like that where it really does feel like things are changing in an enormous way, I do look to these cultural cues to tell me, you know, is there goodness in the world? Are there are is there worse elements to this in the world? How as a society do we hold on to culture in a time when culture is like the first thing to go in survival? I think you that, have some you answers. Know, yeah, you know, it does give you some answers and it gives you a sense of relief. You know, you watch Contagion, you're like, okay, it's not that bad. You read the the stand, you're like, okay, it's not that bad. We can get through this. This is a, a lesser variant of this, but it's also a wake-up call. You know, things could be worse. We're, I think, I'm hoping the big takeaway from this is that we all start treating our planet with a little more caution. And I think if we don't, we're going to start seeing more of these illnesses like we see in come out of Wuhan. Um, I, I, I do want to say, just so for people who are uninitiated, uh, so Station Eleven by Emily St. John yes. Mandel is, you know, we talk about being on the nose. It's a tremendous book. It's like you read it in 24 hours, which will probably even accentuate the kinds of things that Rebecca's talking about. But it, it is about as close to uh, a description of where this could go if this went into a really horrible place as you could imagine. But it also, Irene, and this maybe circles back to poetry, is very, very much about Shakespeare and very much about yeah. the eternality of Shakespeare, the way in which you know, I mean, the, the sort of poor man's version of this is Kevin Costner in The Postman. But but in in her book, there is a way in which when everything is lost, when most of society is lost, most of humanity is gone. Shakespeare is still kind of on the table. Uh, I don't so think it's a spoiler to say like they have a traveling symphony that goes around to all these different settlements and performs Shakespeare and classical music for the various survivors. And that's kind of the conceit of the book, which is a really interesting take on dystopian fiction. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to read this. Don't yeah, read you're, you're going to love it. Don't read it in the next few weeks. Do yourself a favor. <laughs> Unless you're as strong as Rebecca is. Uh, I personally, I mean, I read the book. I don't think I would want to read it again right now. But, you know, Bill, I highly recommend the audiobook. It's very soothing. Kirsten Potter oh, yeah. does a very, very soothing job of relaying some horrible information. <laughs> <laughs> but Bill, you know, one of the other possible reactions to this is too that it's, it's you know, you want. I mean, back to the Shakespeare idea. Anyway, you, you don't want to waste your time too much with trash. You'd be better off with Ian McEwan or William Shakespeare or or, or Emily St. John Mandel. On the other hand, there's a way that I don't know. I kind of need a certain amount of garbage right now. It's hard for me to explain why that is. Uh, but Bill, you're a media studies professor. Maybe you know. Well, I, you know, I think that there is a tendency to just 
want to numb yourself a little bit. And I think these days people are numbing themselves in lots of different ways. I, I think one of the businesses that are thriving right now are uh, liquor stores. So, yeah. you know, and, and there's obviously the culture equivalent of that. But I also think it's possible to find stuff that um, is not trash, but is also light enough that it's it's soothing in some ways. And I think the show that we're going to talk about in the second half of the show, High Fidelity, which, you know, I liked a lot, I think kind of fits into that little niche of um it certainly isn't trash it certainly isn't you know just like kind of garbage culture but it's also um it's not dealing with anything overly weighty i mean i know it deals with loneliness and 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 a lack of connection but at the end of the day it's still a rom-com so i i think there's a whole I think there's a whole range of culture that fits into there. And it, and if I can just mention one other thing, um, Lori and I just recently streamed Dairy Girls. Um, oh, Dairy which, Girls is so good. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember which service it's on. Is it Netflix? I think it's Netflix. Yeah, it's Netflix, yeah. Um, and there's two seasons, and it's about a group of friends growing up in Ireland during, as what they say, the Troubles. And the troubles are kind of a background to the show, but it's very much about young friendship and it's hilarious and it's poignant and it's moving. And that's the kind of stuff that, that I'm finding really attractive right now. Mm-hmm. And I, but I think it's also, you know, the, like we call the, that the television with the Apple TV that are the crack machine, you know, because it's kind of like. It, I, I, even when you say that, I was like, oh, I haven't seen Dairy Girls. I, I you know, somebody else told, mentioned that to me. And, you know, but there's so many, there's so many. Oh, um, yeah, there's a lot. Things yeah. like that. And it's just like, I don't want to be in the, I don't want to, I'm, I, and I'm really attracted to those things too. And I probably could spend hours and hours and hours watching it. But then I also feel like, no, I don't want to be living in the, in, in the, in the world of, of the computer, you know, and now I have to teach all my classes on the computer too. And it's like, we're talking on the computer right now. And it's just kind of like, wow, I'm so, I'm, I'm, I'm just like, I feel like this sense of anxiety about just getting lost and staring at the computer all the time. I, I find it really hard like you, we have to do it, but then on the other hand, we don't want to, but we do want to, and we're pulled into it, and we're pulled out of it, and wait, I should do something else, and now I'm going to go back, and anyway, yeah. that's just where I am. Well, well, this is where literature comes back in then, right? This is yeah. where novels and poetry uh, can can provide us with something other than that, and also, you know, we don't, we don't really think of it as culture, but... Um, um, walking, you know, Mm -hmm. walking is still something we can do if we're not doing it in big groups, if we're, you know, doing it in semi isolated ways, just, you know, getting out there and, and, and just seeing the world, even if we aren't actually able to immerse ourselves in other people. Isn't it weird though, to be walking and to have somebody like see you and then cross the street because they don't want to be six, you know, less than six feet from you. And and honestly, I agree. But I kind of do want people to do that. And I want to do that for other people as well. Yeah. 
Well, there's sort of we're all turning into 19th century transcendentalists, you know, that it's sort of weird way in which culture and the outdoors uh, are starting to be married more and more and feed us in similar ways. And because I'm doing the same thing. I mean, I have this insane young dog. I have no choice. But uh, but yeah, the outdoors turns out to be really important. I, I wanted to mention one thing just before I missed the chance, just because I think it will amuse all three of you, which is that. um so I, you know, Bill was talking about liquor stores. I haven't been to a liquor store. I'm sort of ordering food, uh, in ordering groceries and stuff like that, and I haven't really figured out how to get wine delivered to my house uh, yet. But uh, Carolyn Payne, a regular guest on the show, who you all know and love, she and I have this kind of running gag. I don't really know where how it started about boxed wine. So at, on Christmas Eve, Carolyn left a unimpressive looking box of Pinot Noir at my house. And I started <laughs> referring it to it as the Carolyn Payne Strategic Wine Reserve. Um, it, it was sort of nothing I was planning on drinking back in December. But at a certain point, I thought, well, I guess I'll have a glass of Carolyn's Strategic Wine Reserve Pinot Noir. Um, so, yeah, there's, you know, you you have to you have to improvise now. Maybe you have to change your standards a, a little bit. Hey, I wanted to ask you, I don't know if anybody has a response to this. It's something I, I said in the email, too. But there's a way in which, and, and, and maybe we, you've already answered this question, but maybe maybe not. There's a way in which, I don't know, certain people kind of emerge at times like this culturally. Uh, and it could be anybody from, like, at this point, Max Brooks, who made that amazing video with his dad, Mel Brooks, I'm assuming most people have seen. 12 million people have seen it now. So, uh, Or, I mean, I was thinking back to, to 9-11 and how scary that was and how you know, Don DeLillo basically had written four books about 9-11 before it had happened. There was a way in which he sort of already was uh, on record uh, about this. But I also remember that I, I, like a lot of people, had given up on U2. And, and then uh, they had released that album. That I think it was called All That You Can't Leave Behind the year before. And it was just... It was perfect. It was like they knew 9-11 was coming and you would need a certain kind of music. I don't know if any of you have sort of found, you know, people or or even just Ariana Grande, you know, telling her fans to get over themselves and not go to their yoga classes and stuff like that. But I don't know. Rebecca, has anybody kind of jumped out at you in a new way at this moment? Um, I don't have cable, so I don't watch the news anymore. So I get my culture exclusively from the internet. Talk about being completely tapped into a computer. That is my life. Yeah. Uh, I did really enjoy the clip of the brothers Cuomo on CNN debating over who was their mother's favorite child the other day, but I would not necessarily <laughs> call that heroic. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think if there's anyone that I'm really that's coming out as a standout hero for me. Honestly, Emily St. John Mandel, simply because it seems like she's really captured the moment that we're living in right now with Station Eleven. That's as close as I can think of someone that's kind of had that Delilo prophetic voice. Yeah. Right. And, and by Bill the point, way, yeah, yeah, Bill, point, make that point, Bill. Uh, Emily St. John St. John Mandel is just about to release a new novel. Uh, called The Glass Hotel, which is about this huge, apparently, um, you know, it, it hasn't come out yet, but apparently it's about this huge Wall Street con job, which <laughs> if you're looking at the newspaper today, <laughs> she seems to have an amazing ability to kind of anticipate things that are coming. Um, for me, um, I posted a couple of videos of John Oliver Mm -hmm. doing um, some monologues about coronavirus and about uh, government's response to it. And boy, I, I, his show now is going to be on hiatus for a while, like a lot of these. But I thought 
in those two coronavirus monologues, which you can find uh, on YouTube. They're, they're, they're simultaneously very, very funny, but also extremely sharp and actually also extremely informative. So I would point to, to, to that at least as one thing. Hmm. How about you, Irene? Anything yeah, I mean, I guess yeah, if you're going to say John Oliver, I'd always say Trevor Noah because he's so funny. Um, yeah. But also yeah. Idris Elba, that, I think maybe somebody already mentioned it, but I, it, the Idris Elba that what he posted on Twitter about having the virus um, with his wife there in the background. I watched it like 10 times because I thought it was kind of interesting the way he, the way he talked about it. Um, that's, that's the one that rises into my mind. I, I Yes. I, I mean, I do think that comedy is becoming really important. It's not going to work for everybody, but I, I am finding that I need things that make me laugh. I'll, I'll mention one. I actually got a little bit annoyed at some of the late night comics who, you know, as of last Wednesday, when in fact all that was the day, for example, the World Health Organization used the word pandemic. I think it was the day that Merkel said she expected 70 percent of the German population to, to eventually be infected. I mean, it was a really bad problem at that point, And people were beginning yeah. to understand that. And a lot of these I mean, Stephen Colbert, who's a very smart guy, was standing up in front of his packed audience. Um, and he was announcing that eventually he wasn't going to be you know, starting next week. He thought at that moment he wouldn't be doing things in front of audiences. And they were booing that. And and I'm thinking and then he's kind of as Colbert and a lot of these comedians do making fun of Trump for failing to comprehend the gravity of the situation. And I thought, you don't <laughs> you don't grasp the gravity of the situation. Mm -hmm. You have hundreds of people sitting there and you're talking to mm -hmm. them and you're letting them complain about the fact they're not going to be able to sit there next Monday. I, Bill, I hear you going. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. No, that's absolutely true. Um, well, there was the famous thing in the NBA that the first NBA player to be diagnosed oh. of it had just before that made this ridiculous display of, you know, touching all the microphones and spreading his sweat everywhere and then had to come back and apologize for it. Um, it does seem like it was midweek last week when all of a sudden this really came crashing home for all but the most uh, in denial um, that 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 we we did have to take this very seriously. Um, this is uh, related to your other question, Colin. This is this is this certainly is not a new thing, but um, there's a Joni Mitchell that's been echoing through my head. Um, don't it always seem to go? that we don't know what it's got till it's gone. I, I just, I just keep hearing that in my head. Well, that's right a now. perfect, that's a perfect segue yeah. towards high fidelity. So, uh, because, um, you know, music obviously is, we all have uh, soundtracks, we all have playlists. Uh, and so we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We'll talk about all that. All right, we're back. Uh, you know, I try to thank uh, people every day, but you thank people even more in situations like this. So special thanks uh, go out to some of the tech people behind the scenes, people you don't uh, whose voices you don't hear. Uh, they are uh, um, TJ Coppola. I think TJ is the person who figured out how we could get three 
um, Skype guests on the board at once. But if he didn't figure it out, then Gene Amatruda figured it out. And if he didn't figure it out, Joe Koss figured it out. Somebody like that figured it out. And they've all been very, very uh, key. They've been the kind of the spine and central nervous system of, of the station. Katie Tularski is watching over everything and trying to uh, minimize our follies. Uh, Kat Pastor, I've already mentioned, but she has been the rock uh, here uh, as a producer, a technical producer in studio. Jonathan McNichola produced this episode. I wanted to say all that before I ran out of time to do it. All right, now, time to talk uh, about high fidelity. High fidelity has been repurposed here in 2020 uh, as uh, a, a new story. No, it's the same old story, but it has a different kind of lead. It has a different gender lead. Uh, it is now Zoe Kravitz. Uh, this is a show that's very much about music snobs uh, and also the role in which music and culture play in shaping our ideas about who we are. The notion being you are what you like. The things you like actually define who you are. So Kat, let's play B1. I'll set it up a little bit. This is um, uh, Zoe Kravitz as Rob Brooks, Robin Brooks in this case. Uh, and she's on uh, a, a match or something or Tinder or something date uh, with a guy named Clyde, who's played by Jake Lacey, who was very terrific uh, in um, Fosse Verdon. Uh, and uh, they're having the kinds of conversations that people in high fidelity have. Uh, question. <clears throat> Answer. If I were to admit out loud to you right now <laughs> that I truly, no joke, love this song, would you get up and leave? No, I love this song. All right. This is a great song. Yeah. Yeah. To me, this band's more about the drama. You know what I mean? Like, you can hear it when you listen to the music. You have all that with Stevie and Lindsay and John and Christine and Bob Weston and McFleetwood's wife, Lindsay, the other chick, I can't remember her name, Christine and the sound engineer. I mean, it's bonkers. You know, you can hear it. When you listen to it, I'm still talking. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, to answer your very simple question, yes, I enjoy this song. Oh, good, 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 good. I'm sorry, I blacked out for a second. No, man, that was great. Yeah. Um, Follow-up question. Mm -hmm. um, are you going to get up and leave now? Because I don't know enough about Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> yes. Oh, come on. I thought this was good. I'm really? Gonna go. Yeah, I'm going to go. I'm oh, gonna no. Jet. I'm going to jet. This is crazy. All right, so let's uh, talk a little bit about this. Rebecca, just kind of give me your first take on the new High Fidelity. Well, I was nine years old when the first High Fidelity came out and <laughs> will be the first to admit I actually have not seen it. So I went into this blind. I do really like Nick Hornby. There was a boy in college that I had a crush on exclusively because he was writing his dissertation on Nick Hornby, and that's when I got into Nick Hornby. Um, but that's an aside. Uh, so I really enjoyed this. I think that, you know, Zoe Kravitz was really underutilized in Big Little Lies, which is something that uh, we've discussed before. And to see her really kind of have a platform to shine and really display that full range of, you know, her personality and her character was really rewarding and exciting. And I did really, uh, I had actually written in my notes that the Fleetwood Mac scene was one of my favorite scenes because I do find that, you know, I, I am in the music industry, though my knowledge of music is limited to what I am very familiar with and not much beyond that. So I certainly have had those interactions with people where I'm like, is it bad that I like Fleetwood Mac? And then to have someone drop all that knowledge on you and you feel really validated. To me, that's what records encourage and people that have a real love of vinyl are often kind of, you know, 
bookworms in in a music sense. They have all this background to the albums. I remember in college, I had a classmate who would put on Beatles records and then explain to us for the next hour after the record finished all the different history that went into making why that track was put there, who got in what fight, why you can hear that on the record. And it just completely changed my relationship to music. And now I personally possess a huge vinyl collection and it's my preferred medium of listening to music because it really does feel so much more intentional and interesting and intellectual. Hmm. Okay, uh, Irene, your turn. Yeah, I had such a different reaction to that one. Because um, for me, the, what I love about the scene is, um, oh, is that an echo? Is it here? Um, okay. uh, is the way the show depicts uh, awkwardness between people. I think it's just so lovely. And even just the little dialogue of like, oh, sorry, I blacked out. And then she says, he says, no, no, that was great. No, it wasn't great that you blacked out, but he said it anyway because of the awkwardness. And so the, the, the inter, because I guess I, I'm more of a, what you are like is more important than what you do like, uh, unlike the, the sort of philosophy in the show. And I thought the, the, the way it depicts awkwardness and human interaction is wonderful. As well as the idea of the fear of, of a fear of commitment, which is also what the show is about. Absolutely, uh, Bill. How about you? Uh, read the book, liked it. Watched the movie, liked it. Really liked the show. Um, I really liked the reimagining of it. I really liked the recasting of it. I really like looking at it from a slightly different uh, lens. Um, I. I I'm also a Nick Hornby fan. I can really relate to this story because I am one of those guys who would haunt record stores for hours on end. Um, there used to be years ago, this great music store in downtown Hartford called Capitol records. That was a lot like championship vinyl in the store. I was friends with people who worked there. I would hang out there for hours on end. So it's, you know, it's, it's definitely a story that, that resonates with me. I love that, um, you guys played that clip and that Rebecca had it in her notes because I had it in my notes as well. It's a great scene. And I have to admit, I've done exactly that kind of thing of, you know, somebody mentions a musical artist and I, and I go into this, you know, deep dive on them. I just did this thing with my kids the other day about how, um, free jazz, uh, was an attempt to manifest the spirit and ideology of the black power movement. And my kids are nice kids, so they just kind of humored me while I did that. I mean, I have to say that I'm a little bit uh, one of those annoying music nerds uh, in both the movie and the show, although all of my nerdiness is about 20 years out of date. Um, and I though I really did. I like the Fleetwood Mac thing, and I, th I thought our little monologue was terrific, although as a, as a a certain kind of music nerd i felt like to really be that person at the end she should she had to say but actually it was all garbage from the time Lindsay and stevie showed up uh the danny kerwin uh, bob welch stuff was way better that's that's what the real annoying music <laughs> says in that you situation are one of those. but they're yes, both great yeah. Both of those versions of that band are great if you really give yourself over to them. I know, but the the Hornby spirit is very much being a jerk about these I things. Know. You, yeah, know, you have know, to be kind true. of an aggressive jerk about it. So I want to talk a little bit about what, what I consider to be one of the most challenging recastings of this is not Zoe Kravitz, who I think is terrific and is much more polyrhythmic than Cusack, which is important because this is a much yeah. longer piece of work. You know, you just can't be sort of delivering your lines the same way for 10 episodes or whatever it is. Um, and... So she I, makes, just to interrupt you, she makes um, 
being sort of sad look real, even though you think somebody who has the spirit and vivacity that she has could never be depressed or lonely, but she, she, she acts it beautifully. Like you totally believe her depression, which I yes. love. And there's that whole Richard the third thing of constantly talking to the camera too. So, yeah. you yeah, know, which she, which she does really well, you know, I mean, yeah. Cusack does it. She does I, it. I hated it at first because it was giving me like, Oh, I'm so coming off a of flea bag where I'm so protective of that now. And nobody can do it, but flea bag, but she did such a great job with it. I really, it, it, it won me over very quickly. So, uh, but I, so the, the a very very talented actress or or I guess uh, actor would be a better uh, thing to say these days. But Divine Joy Randolph, who was so wonderful in Dolomite, is playing the role that was inhabited by Jack Black. Uh, this and the role is the kind of aggressively snobby know it all in the record store. Um, and uh, although I mean she's playing it a little bit differently, she has to do these scenes that are very well known Jack Black scenes. Jack Black's initial entrance. Uh, in High Fidelity, I feel like is one of the most memorable entrances uh, in modern movie history. Uh, there's the whole scene where he berates a father uh, who is buying, uh, I just called to say I love you for his daughter. Um, she has to do this, but she has to do it about a Michael Jackson record for very different reasons, obviously. And I don't know, I wonder what you guys think. I, I, I guess I'm going to direct this a little bit more at Irene and Bill, because I think you guys went back and watched the original again or something. But, yeah, you know, yeah, I, I'm just wondering, uh, we'll, we'll start with you then, Bill, and I'd like to hear from Irene, too. I, I, is it fair to make this very, very talented performer, who, by the way, I'm talking about Divine Joy Randolph, went to Yale Drama School, uh, make her do scenes somebody's already done? That seems like I would rather see this role written out a little bit more for her. It didn't bother me the way it bothered you, Colin, because um, I thought she... I, I, I thought she pulled it off so well. Mm -hmm. uh, to me, the scenes where she did have to recreate some of that, it was it was both like an homage uh, to the original, but also taking it in a new and different direction. Where you know the Jack Black, Black character in the film was just completely, completely over the top, and you you didn't and and Jack Black did that you know, so well that as you said in our emails, he, that, that created him in some ways. Um, but what I think I like because it's longer and there's some additional scenes and you get to see more what divine joy Randolph brings to it is I thought was a little bit more multi-dimensionality so that in her, I really kind of saw the vulnerability behind that that a lot of the way she she was acting in the store in that scene and in some other scenes was her facade because that character is actually a really vulnerable person and you could see that come out in some of the other scenes that she was in which mm -hmm. i really enjoyed i think that's fair and right yeah irene what about this about this I mean, movie is kind of a reinterrogation. Right. I mean, I guess I, I, I was feeling like, you know, in a way, the things you described, Bill, I agree, but she did that with her acting more than the dialogue she was given. And yeah, I agree Agreed. that the dialogue was a little it, it was a little too limiting or even the plot line. Like I, I wanted to know more about her life just because she was. But one thing she did so well was the was the the close observation when she was pretending not to be, you know, like she didn't mm -hmm. miss a beat of what, what went on in that store. You know, and and I just love. I just it was just so fun. I'm not not funny, but just so great the way she the way she 
you know, like without the, the non-spoken part of her acting mm -hmm. was just wonderful, you know, but yeah, I guess that if, if there were a, cause I really thought, thought it was great, but if, if there were a, um, a limitation that I would point to, I agree with Colin that it was her, it was her, her script, the script for her lines. Cause she was trying to be like, she was also, she was funny. Like Jack Black, Black is funny, but she, it was sort of like too, some of the laughs seemed too easy and she could have done, they could have pushed her and it put, pointed her in a different direction maybe. So, um, Rebecca, sorry, <coughs> I'm choking on water. I'm not. Oh, I was going to say. <laughs> uh -oh. <laughs> There's a way in which I think this works also in the present moment. It's about hunkering down in your apartment, making playlists and having Debbie Harry materialize as a spirit in your room. But it, also <laughs> We've all been there. it also tantalizes us with the joy of going out, which we can't do right now. Maybe yes. we can talk a little bit about that while I cough. Yeah. Well, I absolutely had a very strange feeling watching High Fidelity this week. Every time they went to a club or they kissed a stranger or touched a stranger, I'm like, don't do that. You're not right, six right. feet apart. It was very difficult and distracting, which is why I eventually felt like I had to go back to Mad Men after I'd watched a couple of these episodes because I just could not get it out of my head. that This is not social distancing. You shouldn't go to a club. It's stressing me out. It's amazing yes, how quickly we learn that. Right? I mean, it absolutely has recalibrated my whole brain as to human touch and physical interaction. I'm like, oh, no, gross. Yeah. Don't go to a bodega. Don't touch that. You didn't hand sanitize before you left. Right. Same, same. So let's hear uh, another clip, clip from the movie because both Bill and Irene were very glad to see this particular actress. This is Parker Posey. She's uh, playing a woman yes. who is getting yes. rid of her husband's record collection uh, whose value she seems not to understand and having the kind of interaction that people seem to have in this record store. The customers and the staff rarely seem to get along very well uh, here at uh, Champion Records. It, this is a really special collection. It's $20. That's my price. If this is for revenge, why don't you just light them on fire? Because, young man, <laughs> I'm an artist. And mere destruction wouldn't imbue the same poetic vengeance. When that perfidious heel comes to collect his precious records, what he'll find in their place is a framed, perfectly crisp $20 bill. I already bought the frame. And that sniveling man-child <laughs> will be haunted till his dying day with the knowledge that somewhere out there some stranger whom he's never met is deriving great pleasure from the only thing in the world he ever truly loved. This. Will be my greatest work of art yet. Jesus. <laughs> wow. So, take it, Irene. That long pause was so great. Um, uh, you know, the whole idea of being angry at people for breaking up with you is also sort of a thread in the in the show. And she just embodied it. You know, they just took it to so, such a different, funny, delightful place with her. You know, what else is there to say? She was just, she, you know, it was perfect, I thought. Bill? Um, love it. Love Parker Posey. Love everything she does. Uh, my wife is downstairs listening. Don't worry, honey. You're still one through five on my top five list. But I absolutely love Parker Posey and great character, great scene, great, great little, you know, 
storyline addition to that of, you know, that the way you're going to destroy a music collector is by selling their whole collection for $20. That, that was a fantastic addition uh, that doesn't appear in the same way in the original movie. No, not at all. In fact, Rebecca, I want to know if the guy who's, who wrote the Nick Hornby paper is one of your five uh, heartbreaks. <laughs> uh, um, he would like to think. But no, he wasn't that good of a writer in the end. <laughs> Oof. So Rebecca, Rebecca, my question would be, can they get a second season out of this? Do, do you think that they'll, I don't know if there's any news. Yeah, I think you can. I think there's enough music and enough, you know, stuff to mine there. And, you know, there's enough intrigue with the characters. You know, we, there's more to excavate there. I think they absolutely can get a second season out of it. For sure. I hope they do. If they do, I really hope that they have Maya Rudolph on. Because there's a nice symmetry here. Lisa Bonet was in the original yeah. uh, High Fidelity. Now you've got Zoe Kravitz. And meanwhile, uh, Zoe Kravitz has been zoning out to Minnie Ripperton. So it would be great to have Minnie Ripperton's daughter, Maya Rudolph, uh, as have some little cameo in the second season. That's my If the producers are out there listening, that's my suggestion. All right. So uh, it's High Fidelity. I think we all recommend it. Uh, you have to get Hulu to do it. Uh, but, uh, it's like an escape. Yeah, once you do, there'll be other Hulu things and time will pass yeah. and you won't know what happened. So let's take a little break. And we'll make some other recommendations to you on the other side of this. And welcome back to The Nose. Uh, I'm Colin McEnroe, and our panel today is Rebecca Castellani, music writer for the Red Hook Star Review, Irene Papoulis, uh, teaches at Trinity College, Bill Usman, professor of media studies at Sacred Heart University. Uh, and we're going to do the thing that we do at the end of every nose, which is to make some recommendations. Um, I've left a little bit of extra time here so you don't feel as though you have to rush through your ideas. Irene, do you want to get us started here? Sure, sure. Well, I mentioned the, the novel called Fates and Furies by Lauren Brock, which I found was extremely, it's it's a really interesting book and a really good escape. And it, uh, it, it's a kind of book that halfway through you're reading sort of a different book and it's just a wonderful novel to, to get yeah, lost I'll in a relationship. Um, and the other thing is cooking. Um, I've been, I found this one, a few weeks ago, the New York times had this one pot recipe special section. Yes. Yes. Going, I've saved I've it going through there. It's so, there's so many great, you know, I made orzo with shrimp, pasta with kale and cherry tomatoes, garbanzo beans with coconut milk. And I want to make all of the other ones too. And one thing I've discovered in doing that, I mean, I like to cook, I, but uh, when, I, I never paid attention to lemon zest. Like if I would see it in a recipe, I'd say like, whatever, what's the big deal with lemon zest it doesn't matter oh, makes a big recipes, difference there's lemon zest and when you put it it's just incredible what a difference it yep. makes in these pasta recipes and stuff and and the you know anyway so i recommend that special issue of one pot meals and also lemon zest in general in any recipe yeah i assume that that's online i did the same thing that you did which was to spirit it away from my physical copy of the new york times that day and i've been saving it although somebody appears to have dropped it in a a puddle of water or something. I saw it drying out <laughs> next to a fireplace the other day. But Declan, um, Declan yeah, got to be Declan. So uh, yeah, go ahead, uh, Rebecca. What have you got for us? 
So on the same vein of food, um, you know, it's it's a boring time. There's not a lot going on, and we're kind of dealing with our pantries and what's in the back of the pantries these days, maybe some items that you haven't looked at in a while time that you're trying to use. So my partner and I have been doing chop challenges for each other where we assign each other four basket ingredients and have to make a meal out of it, which is an extreme but fun way to kind of entertain yourself and uh, feed yourself. Um, and then you can cosplay the judges, and I like to be Alex Gornishelli and be, like, super harsh but fun. So, anyway, that's something I've been doing. And then on High Fidelity side, we've also started listening to our record collection from A to Z on both ends. So, we'll listen to one on A and one on Z. We're trying to meet in the middle because there's a lot of stuff we have that we've just never listened to. So, that's been kind of fun. So, if you do have records or even something, you know, you could use this with your digital music catalog, too. Just kind of see what you've got on there. Some weird stuff you probably haven't listened to in a while. Oh, and one last one, Skype cocktails with your friends and family. I've been doing this every night with either my family or my college friends. We get together for half an hour, share a cocktail, catch up, and then we go about our days. It's been super fun. Yes, there's some neighborhoods in West Hartford where people have cocktail hours where they all stand in their lawns and just sort of place the drinks uh, to each other, uh, visible to one another. Uh, That probably would actually work on Irene Street pretty well, too. We Um, do it. We do it. You do it already. Okay. So, Bill, what have you got for us? Uh, last night, Lori and I started, uh, to stick with Hulu a little bit. I'm not getting a kickback. I promise. We started, (laughs) um, little fires everywhere, which is the new series, uh, based on the Celeste Ng book, um, with Reese Witherspoon, who I also love and Carrie Washington. We watched the first two episodes. It is absolutely fantastic. Well, I have um, to so say I, on that note, before you continue, Big Little Podcast is covering Little Fires Everywhere starting in the next couple of weeks. So I have to keep an eye out for that. Did you guys do every show yeah. that has little in the title? Yeah, I think that's what they will. And, 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 <laughs> and Reese Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon. Those are yeah. the two everything pieces. Yeah. So this is yes. a podcast, by the way, that is impaneled uh, in, in, in uh, Rebecca and Teresa Kramer and Carolyn Payne. So all, all members of the knows who've uh, done this uh, stealth brand podcast called uh, Big Little Podcast. Anyway, continue, Bill. Uh, yeah, so little, so jump into little fires everywhere, and then um, there's going to be some other things coming that might help us get through um, what is sure to be a very tumultuous April. Um, Chris Rock is going to star in the fourth season of Fargo, uh, which is oh. coming back on April 19th. HBO is going to have a mini series based on Wally Lambs. I know this much is true. Uh, that's going to start on April 27th. Uh, Insecure uh, on HBO comes back on four t- on um, uh, April 12th. And then um, I'm also looking forward, FX is now doing this thing, FX on Hulu. And they're doing a limited series about Phyllis Shafley, uh, which is going to star Kate Blanchett uh, in that role of, of a horrible human being uh, on April 15th. And then just, uh, I'll just finish up quickly. Um, if you get tired with doing the cooking that, uh, Rebecca and, um, Irene have recommended, I'm also going to endorse just, um, getting some takeout food from area restaurants, because as of right now, there are still a lot of area restaurants that are able and willing to do takeout and it's a good way to kind of help them out and that might not last. So while you can, don't forget to support some local restaurants by ordering some takeout from them. 
All right. So, yeah, I second that uh, idea. And we are working on a show for next week, actually, on the plight of restaurants. Restaurants employ 15 million people. Uh, and a lot of those people are laid off right now. So, so yeah. So some good news. We think that we have found uh, the, um, the online version of what Irene was talking about called Because the Dishwasher is You, 39 Delicious One Pot or Pan Dinners. I'm pretty sure that is that section that we had. Also, I wanted to point out that Barack Obama was a big fan of Fates and Furies, a novel which he read while he was president. One of the interesting things about Obama was he was clearly a workaholic president, but he would also do stuff like read novels, which I, I find kind of amazing while you're trying to run the whole country. Um, so uh, I'm going to endorse uh, a couple of things. Well, first of all, I'm going to endorse a couple of musical things. So one of the mus uh, musical artists featured in High Fidelity is Nick Drake, uh, a guy with a somewhat tragic story from many decades ago, but he's uh, really wonderful. You hear Zoe Kravitz listening to Pink Moon. I personally think, once again, the, new, the music snob wouldn't have gone for Pink Moon because it got turned into um, a, a Volkswagen commercial. But instead, uh, the, the Riverman, and look for the Liz Wright version, L-I-Z-Z -Z, uh, Wright version of Nick Drake's uh, The Riverman. It is terrific. In a very, very funny podcast, a special quarantine episode of uh, Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend featuring Andy Daly, who's extremely funny. So it's Conan O'Brien Needs a, F a Friend is the name of the regular podcast. This is a very special self-quarantine episode. It will make you laugh. I hope we've uh, kept you busy at least for an hour. And we are very grateful to have uh, Rebecca and Bill and Irene. And it's time to leave. But we'll be back on Monday with another brand new show. And thanks for listening to this one. Yeah, 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 yeah.